Amen. All right, as I said already, uh, before I read that Isaiah 5 passage for us, we're returning to John uh, this evening, and in particular to John 15. So open up your Bibles with me uh, to John 15 this evening. I'm going to read for us uh, from verses 1 through 17. We're actually going to spend a couple of weeks in John 15, and actually at least two weeks within this very passage itself, because there's two themes in it that if you're familiar with uh, this this chapter, you'll know them. Uh, one is abiding and the other is bearing fruit. And so uh, I think they're both worthy of a sermon. We'll do abiding this week and then bearing fruit or fruit bearing next week. So hear this portion of the word of God. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. If you will keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love as no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Lord, help us to hear your commands, and delightfully to do what you have commanded us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple more scriptures to get us started this evening. Psalm 27.4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalm 90, the beginning, and these are the two verses from our call to worship. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of of the Almighty, and John 14, 2. In my Father's house, in my Father's house, there are many dwellings, many abiding places. Where do you want to live? Where do you want to live? Where's your dream 
house? Where is your forever home? Isn't it ironic that HGTV and the Property Brothers have grasped the idea of a forever home and transferred it to life on earth when Jesus says, abide in me, reside in me, be with me, live with me, live in me, dwell in me, shelter in me, make yourself at home in me, live and delight yourself in my presence, Jesus is saying to us, inhabit me. Abide. I guess abide is a word we don't actually use very often, but obviously it's a word that Jesus loved and John in particular. John, more than anybody else, loves this word. He loves it when Jesus uses it. It's repeated all over the text for us today, and then it becomes a favorite word of John as he continues through in the gospel, as he continues into his own epistles, the call to abide. The call here is for us to practice the presence of God, to cultivate a holy familiarity with God, with Jesus. And, and essentially, if we, if we think about it in the idea of the poem that I had for us a couple of weeks ago, the, the idea that Jesus is saying is, you are no longer a mere visitor. You are no longer somebody who's just passing by on the street. No, instead, in Jesus, we have become his brother or his sister in him. And therefore, as a result, his home is your home. His home is your home. Abide in him. Unpack your things and stay. Remain. Remain. Jesus uses the vine analogy here to impress upon his disciples, upon us, the essential vitality that comes from being connected to him, from being with him in union and communion with him. Now, if we think back, over the Old Testament, for example, the story of, and I'll use this in a, in a kind of similar way, union with or dwelling with or abiding in God. The story of doing that from the human perspective is just an unmitigated disaster. It never works very well or for very long for us to, to be able to abide in the presence of God because the holiness is overwhelming to us. And to put it in the terms of the vine and the vineyard, you can think of the passage that we read for the Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 5. It gives, it gives the image of God planting and tending this vineyard, this vine that is Judah, that is Israel. And, and when you plant a vineyard, you're not planting it because you hope to get really nice lumber out of the wood of the vineyard. You're not planting it for beauty. And, and you're not planting it as some kind of a shade thing. You are planting it because you have an expectation that that vine is going to produce grapes. And with those grapes, you are going to be able to produce wine. But it didn't bear fruit. At least it didn't bear fruit in the terms that God was looking for, for that fruit. And as a result, God is exposing that vineyard. He's removing it. He's replacing that vineyard. But, but don't misunderstand, this, this, uh, this, this analogy, this metaphor of the vineyard has a lot of flexibility and it's used in a lot of different ways. God is not replacing the vineyard of Israel with the vineyard of the church. He is instead replacing the vine of Israel 
with a new rootstock. Or if you will, if you want to think of it this way, he, he's actually replacing it with an old, ancient rootstock. Something that's uncovered, that's growing in there, that has vitality in it. The true vine is being planted. The faithful, obedient, loving son is being planted in the vineyard of the Lord. Jesus is the true vine. And, and the, the whole presupposition behind what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15 is that the father is doing his work. The father is tending and watching over this vineyard. The son is doing his work. The son is in the process of laying down his life for not those who have chosen him, but those whom he has chosen. And the spirit of God, as we've watched him over John, the course of John 14, is going to take and minister unto us to bring others into vital union with that new rootstock or ancient rootstock that is now at the center of the vineyard of the Lord and into that rootstock, both Israel and Gentiles will find their vitality. So God has created the vineyard, the vine, the home, the dwelling, and it is a place that is full of love, vitality, and presence. And it will be full in eternity when he returns and takes us to it. But that future has broken into the world now with his presence and with his abiding spirit. And so now, that even though he is departing from them, he is going to continue to abide with them, continue to dwell with them through the Spirit, and then the Father and the Son's presence being ministered by the Spirit. Having established all of that, he now turns to the disciples as if to say, I've done this, and I'm going to bring this to completion. Now you have something to do. Abide. Abide in me, as I'm in you. Abide in my love as I have abided in my Father's love. God has established the home, the vine, the union. And Jesus calls us then into a rich communion, a rich fellowship. He calls us not to just stand around in the house. So lots of people go through life, and they go through life and, and, with, with their heads down, barely aware of what's going on around them. Uh, I don't know about your neighborhood. My neighborhood has always had lots of people walking. And of course, nowadays, there's more people walking than ever. But there are so many people who walk by our house with their heads down, with earphones in, perhaps looking at their phones as they're going, and they're oblivious to the moment. They're oblivious to the trees or to the moon if it's coming up or to the birds or to the dogs or to the people. They're just skipping across the surface of life. They haven't dived in at all. Others are super busy about life, always thinking about the next thing to do. Others are always pining about something, pining about something in the past or pining towards something in the future. Jesus commands us, don't do that with me. Don't just hang around me. Abide with me. Abide in me. Don't be in my house, in my church. It's kind of a pro forma thing. Don't be going through the motions. Don't, don't just wait for my return to begin abiding. Don't just sit around. Sorry, I can't resist this. 
biding your time. No, 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 no. Jesus says, abide now. Abide now. J.C. Ryle writes it this way. Abide in me. Cling to me. Stick fast to me. Live the life of close and intimate communion with me. Get nearer and nearer to me. Roll every burden on me. Cast your whole weight on me. Never let go your hold on me for a moment. Be, as it were, rooted and planted in me. Do this, and I will never fail you. I will ever abide in you. That's the promise of Jesus, and then the call of Jesus. And then he puts it, Rao puts it in the third person. What is abiding? To be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion, and as our best friend. Jesus calls us to abide. And he provides us in this text with some of the characteristic elements of that abiding. What, what does it look like to abide? You say, well, abiding is a weird word. What does it actually look like to abide? Well, he, he describes what it looks like to abide. When you abide with someone and you abide well with someone and you're enjoying that abiding, one of the primary elements that you've got is communication and conversation takes place when you are abiding. Friends talk, family members talk to one another. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, if you'd like to, you can call that prayer. <laughs> that's what it is. But it's just about a continual conversation. Jesus is saying, my words are in you. Ask whatever you wish. Talk to me. It'll be done for you. And, and that brings us to the next thing. When you're abiding, and it's a happy abiding, you've got, you, you've got the conversation, but you've also got a delightful doing that takes place. That's what Jesus says here. It will be done for you. If you ask in my name, I, I'll do it. I'm glad to, I'm doing stuff now for you. And I'll be glad to do for you. And now what Jesus says is, now do the same thing. Do the exact same thing. And he writes it, uh, to us in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, if you want to, you can call that obedience because that's what we're talking about here. But you can also just look at it and say, it is the delight of lovers, of friends, to do stuff for one another. I hope you've got people in your lives that you are afraid to mention your wants, your desires to them because you know it will become their delight to do it. Uh, I could not help but think, I know this is a tired old uh, movie reference, but I could not help but think of the Princess Bride in this and Wesley's statement that he makes over and over to Buttercup, right? As you wish. As you wish, because that's what love wants to do. As you wish. And Peter Falk at one point comes in and, and, and says, and Buttercup came to realize that when he was saying, as you wish, what he was really saying is, I love you. Because you do stuff. You delight to do things. Abiding looks like that. It looks like shared joy, right? The, ver verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is about a joyous house, a joyous abiding. Abiding looks like love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
the house that we've come to, the home that we've come to, the call that Jesus is making to us is to love, to inhabit love, to dwell in love. Is he calling us to love? Of course he is. Of course he is. That's what the end of it makes clear. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. But it's a command that's born out of a house of love because that's what you love to do within this house. And of course, the final characteristic of abiding here is the one that's all over the text and the one we'll talk about next week. And that is that the, this, this abiding is characterized as really fruity. It's a fruitful abiding. If you abide in Jesus, if you dwell in Jesus and inhabit Jesus, fruit issues forth out of that. And so, so this idea here that is, is not that abiding is so much a, a, a mystical moment of contemplative bliss, although those are good moments. And praise God for those moments when we just enjoy his presence. But it's not just that. The abiding here that we're talking about is a, is a creative abiding. It's an energizing abiding. What's being created is a new home-based economy, a new fruitful vineyard because it's rooted in the sun, the faithful sun. And, and therefore this vineyard, this garden is growing and it's bearing fruit. It's a productive abiding. It's not just a big abiding. It's a, what can we do? What can we do kind of abiding? And the reason for that is because it's the nature of love to overflow, to produce. That's what love does. That's what, that's what the love of the Trinity does. The love of the Trinity overflows into creation. And as the love of the Trinity overflows into creation, what does it produce? It produces a fruitful creation, right? Trees bearing fruit according to their kind, animals, uh, uh, insects, uh, fish, everything bearing fruit according to its kind and things then teeming all around the earth as a result of that. And that's true for our abiding as well. As we abide in that love, in that love that Trinity has for one another that overflows to us and enfolds us and wraps us around that love, it becomes productive, not isolating, but, but, an, but an outward going love that characterizes us. Listen, today we looked at the uh, shorter catechism. Excuse me, I put it down uh, on the ground. But we looked at that last section from the Shorter Catechism and all of those benefits that flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification. And there's those five great benefits that are listed there. They kind of go along nicely with what we just said. But the assurance of God's love, the peace of conscience, the joy in the Holy Ghost, the increase of grace and perseverance therein to the end. I suspect that it's true for you, because I know it's true for me, that I would love to have more of that in my life. I'd love to have more of that experience. And, and what Jesus has done in John 15 is he's provided for us and he's instructed us in the essential, contingent, vital connection. Every experience of those rich benefits flow unto us and through us and to others more freely and more fully as we abide in him. He is our forever home. In him. He is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser. We are the branches and we are called 
not to just hang out as branches, but to abide, to practice the presence of the living God. For he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty.